Welcome to episode 171 of Control the Controllables. And my guest today will have brought a smile to so many of your faces if you've had the opportunity to watch him. A legend of the British game. He's been on the tour now for 18 years. He's won ATP titles. He has been quarter-finalist at many Grand Slams as a doubles player over the last few years. At age 39, he's decided to call the end of his playing career and a big, big well done for such a fantastic career that it's been. Most proud is, you know, is is also making everybody else proud that I've that what I've achieved is, you know, someone can can look at me and say, yeah, you, you've you've maximised your career and 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 you've gone on to play tennis for you know eighteen years, which is, you know, it's a long time in in the tennis world in any sport, and I was able to play it at the highest level for quite a long time, can you know, winning my biggest tournament at thirty eight. And that's my college roommate, Ken Skopsky. And after 18 years on the tour, he's been as high as 44 in the world. He has lived his dream. He's been on the tour playing with his younger brother, Neil Skopsky, winning that event together last year as they came together to, to play out in Mexico, the ATP event. He's finished off his career at Wimbledon recently as he's made the third round with Johnny O'Mara and gone out in style. You know, the fact that he's gone out on his terms to spend more time with his beautiful wife, Haley and his three gorgeous children as well. He, he well deserves this retirement. He's got a bright future ahead. I'm sure he's still going to have a big impact on his brother. He's opened up the Skupski Doubles Academy and, and I'm sure that's going to go from strength to strength. And he'll have a lot of choices of what to do in this next phase of life. I certainly, on a personal level, are so proud of what he achieved. I go back all of those years to 2001, as he came into my apartment in Tigerland in Baton Rouge for the LSU Tigers. And he started his college career just as mine was ending, we managed to spend a year together uh, as as part as part of the team, and it was it, I saw then that he had a bright future ahead. I certainly didn't think he'd be playing until he was thirty nine, but here he is today. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to him and go through the highlights, the lowlights, the challenges, the the lessons, all of those amazing insights. And whilst I'm on. The podcast, and I've, I've got your attention just to let you guys know we will be having a short summer break, not a long one, two, three weeks, just to recharge the batteries. And we will then be back in the next two or three weeks, possibly with a guest. But if not, it'll be our panel as we look at the US Open. And if you are one of the amazing people that have listened to all 170 episodes before this one, uh, I'm sure you probably need a little bit of time off as well. If you haven't listened to all 170 episodes, then dig in, you know, scroll down that phone of yours. There's many amazing guests for whatever you are looking at. And, and let us know. Let us know on social media. Send us an email. All the details are in the show notes. Put it out on social media. Let these, these fantastic guests know how good they are, how invaluable their knowledge, insights and time is 
you know, when I read something on social media or read a message, I always send it to the guests and they're always over the moon to receive that type of feedback. So please, please, please do reach out. But with no further ado, I am going to pass you over to Ken Skupski. So Ken Skupski, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How are you? I'm very well. Um, we've just spoken for two hours before the podcast's even even started. It's uh, it's great to reminisce with my my old roommate, and I have to start by saying, on behalf of not just Control the Controllables, but everyone in tennis, a, a big well done. Uh, a tip of the hat for an incredible career that you've had over the last 16, 18 years. And, and it's all come to an end. So how does it feel? Yeah, it was a bit surreal, obviously. It was, it, I'd, I'd thought about the opportunity to, to call it time a little bit a while ago because I'd started to have a little bit of a niggle with the shoulder. Um, but I, I wanted to finish at Wimbledon. I think Wimbledon was the sort of the best place to do it. It's the pinnacle of the sport for me. And I wanted to go out playing well. I didn't want to think about, you know, carrying on for a little bit longer and sort of just dwindling away into the distance. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to play well. I wanted to finish my career and look back at it and think, yeah, I gave it a good shot. And unfortunately, Johnny and I played really well at Wimbledon this year. And we did fall in three straight sets, which was a bit of a disappointment. But the first two matches we played, we played great. And I think I got a stat today that we were the only team to have not dropped serve in the first two rounds. So, we were in we were in great form up until that last match, um, and it was just a shame that we came up against better op- opposition on the day. And, and in terms of that, like when you're thirty nine years old, dare I say it, um, when you're starting to to think about stopping, and and, and I guess you get to thirty six, thirty five, and people start asking the questions, and you've got a, a young family. Three kids, you know, a very dedicated wife who has watched you travel the world for the last X amount of years. When was the decision made? When did you know that Wimbledon 2022 was going to be your last event? I think to put into context and going back a little while, um, I think when Neil and I split and Neil started to play with Jamie, it was a bit of a concern because I always thought in my head that when Neil and I were playing together, that Neil would be my last partner. That's where everything would yeah. stop. We'd get to a stage where I was a bit too old, wasn't playing that well. Neil would go on and play, uh, play with someone else. Um, so it was a little bit of a shock to the system when he got the offer in some ways, because I think people just assume that brothers will always play together. Yeah. But going, you know, Going back really far, when, when I played with Flembo at the start, the biggest disappointment that I had was to not split up with them when we were sort of ranked at our highest to get into the biggest tournaments. So I knew the opportunity when it came around for Neil to play with someone top 10, that I wouldn't want him to miss that opportunity because I was 35, I think, at the time. And I knew that maybe that's considered the twilight of my career. Um that he would then go on at 40, I think, in the rankings to then play with someone ranked seven and make that jump, which he did. He made the jump. He got to top 20, I think it was roughly. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, it didn't work out for them too. And the chance for us to play again together sort of gave me a, you know, made, made me excited again. And I, yeah. not considering stopping, but my tennis wasn't going 
necessarily as well as I would have hoped. But when we got back together, I, I felt like I was playing with someone I probably shouldn't have been playing with from a ranking perspective. You know, who's who's 17 in the world going to take on a 37-year-old, you know, ranked 45 who's never really done anything? Um, 38, 38, Ken, come on. In the, in the Masters level. So... <laughs> Um, to get to get back playing with Neil was was it, it just gave me so much more excitement and I thought you know what, I'll give it my best shot for however long it could do it and and we did we we played great and you know we won Acapulco which was the pinnacle of my career in terms of t- tournaments won but the the problem was a, a week later I was in hospital wondering if I'd ever play tennis again with blood yeah. clots and that and that scared the hell out of me um, and I never really felt like I got back to where I was prior to getting the blood clots. I yeah. I sort of played okay at certain weeks, but I just never felt like it. And I knew Neil was going to have to go and play with someone else uh, after that. We did play a little bit, but not something that was going to be long-term. Did well with Johnny O'Mara, one in, one in Sofia, which I played really well. But then after that, I, I just never really hit top form again. And sort of the start of this year with a bit of a shoulder problem that I've had for a while, I just, I just felt it was the right time to sort of let's get to Wimbledon and, and and give it my best, give it my all, and you know go through go through the pain because I felt like I was really struggling at one point. Um, I had to change rackets because the the racket that I was using just didn't really work for me at the time. Um, the racket helped for a little while, but unfortunately, I, I just sort of felt like Wimbledon would be the best time to stop. And now that you've stopped, and and this is why I wanted to talk to you because I think. That moment when you stop, and it's still very fresh, we're talking only only a few weeks ago, it tends to be quite a reflective period. And, and, and actually, I think if it's not the right time to stop, it's probably the time that regret or thoughts that you've made the wrong decision jump to mind. So are you sitting here tonight feeling like absolute clarity and c- comfortable that it, it's the right decision to stop now? Yes, I, d- I don't think about playing tournaments. I mean, I look at the results every day because I've got still got friends who are playing. Obviously, Neil's still involved, but I'm not looking thinking, oh, I wish I was at you know Newport or Atlanta or Gustad or whatever. I, I have had a message actually from Johnny O'Mara who, who would love to have me back playing. And, I, you know, I really enjoy playing with Johnny. And, you know, we have a bit of a laugh and a joke about it, but... I, I feel like it was it was the right time for me. So I, I'm completely fine with the situation. And again, as you were saying before, with family, I knew my kids wanted me home more than anything. Um, and obviously to have be home now, have the whole summer with them and just be just be dad for a while. And that that's something that I'm really, you know, I've enjoyed so far. And, and hopefully we can have a few more weeks together before they go back to school. So before we move into some reflective questions which I want this to be about you, you reflecting and sharing your knowledge and, and your wisdom and, and everything that you have from your career. We normally have a quick fire round at the end, but yeah, it's, it's a Ken Skupski retirement special. So <laughs> we're, we're going to lead you in with a little quick fire about yourself. So uh, let's see what your, your knowledge of yourself is. The, fir- the first question your highest ever ATP doubles ranking? 44. Three times. Three times. Over 12 years. Couldn't get past that number? No. 
So this is this is going to be a magic number for you for for many years to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not that long until you're actually 44 years old, so you'll have a whole year to, to reflect on it. <laughs> How many ATP tournaments doubles did you win? ATP 250 and 500 would be seven. With how many different partners? Uh, four. You're good. You're good. ATP challenges? Wins... 35. You're not that good, mate. You only won 33. <laughs> and and futures. I can't, you, I can't tell you the partners for that one. I'm not asking. We don't have that long. What and what about what about ITF Pro Circuit future events? Oh, that's easy. 15. Oh, look at this guy. How <laughs> many, how many Wimbledons did you play? Uh does it include juniors? No. 14. Very good. And how many Davis Cup teams were you on? Um, in the team, actual team, twice. I thought it was three times. I was, I was in the squad for Poland, but I never got selected for the match. And a little fun question. Who was the first person to jump on Andy Murray when he won, when he won, when he won the Davis Cup in Belgium? First or second? I know Leon was the first. Leon first and the second. May have been me. <laughs> and, and then you were you were practice part of that week. So yeah, that- I, yeah. Leon was very kind to ask me to come along to practice. Um, awesome. They they were um, they were obviously playing up against the lefty with Ruben Bemelmans. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think they assumed that he was going to be playing maybe part of the doubles. So there's a bit of doubles practice, but then he got roped into the singles with, uh, I think, Steve Darsis was maybe injured. Oh, okay. Um, and then all of a sudden I was, you know, on centre court, warming Andy up, you know, cold, you know, almost <laughs> stadium. And I'm, he's asking me to rip some second serves to him. And I was like losing my shoulder. <laughs> uh, it was like minus two degrees. But yeah, obviously it was, it was an unbelievable experience to be there and, and get them through. A, a historic moment that I think... Any of this generation, you know, will 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 look at and, and fondly look at, you know, the 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 videos, the the watching it on TV. But to be there and to be part of the team and to be there, the second person after Leon to get on top of Andy afterwards, is that your is that your greatest ever experience in tennis? Uh, for me, obviously, it's a team sport, but to see the, the focus that Andy went through that week would definitely be something that was eye-opening. It was, it was, it was so inspiring to sort of understand the, the, the stresses I think that he has to go through to deal with all the different, you know, the on-court and the off-court. Um, you know, the, 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 it's such a team event that Davis Cup, I'm a bit, of a bit disappointed that it's not like that no more. Um, but yeah, a fantastic week. And at any time you get to obviously represent your country or be part of it, I think it is extra special. And my last little question, how many official matches, ATP, ATP plus Grand Slam matches, have you played in your career? Played? Uh, this gonna- is ATP Tour and Grand Slam. This is not Challenger, not no. Futures. I'm going to say 400. 301. 
It's a lot of tennis matches at the highest level of our sport. And, you know, that's why for me, this is, this is such a fascinating conversation because you've been there, you know, you've done it. You've, you've been quarterfinals at Grand Slams. You've been around it. You've played Davis Cup. You've been there when GB won the Davis Cup. You've been there when your brothers won Wimbledon. You've, you've played world team tennis. You've played college tennis. You know, you've played junior Grand Slams. You know, you really have been around it. You've, you've played British tours. You know what I mean? You've done it. You've done, you've done the, whole, the whole spectrum. So if we go back across that, my first question to you is what's your biggest regret of the last 20 years? Biggest regret? I mean, from a personal perspective, when it comes to like playing at the top end of the sport, I was lucky to play a lot of Grand Slams, um, but I was desperate to try and play Master Series events um, because I, I actually never got to play any. Um, I think that, that, that my first regret, going back to playing with Flembo, we were very close to playing one one time and we missed out, I think, by one spot to Andy and Ross. And I thought, oh, we're going to play Master Series, no big deal. But we never got round to playing them again. Uh, and to miss out on the opportunity to play them big events where all the big points are, that annoyed me a little bit because I, I felt like the, the level of tennis is not that much different. You know, you're coming up against some of these guys at the 500s and the 250 tournaments. And if we'd have just maybe got into them tournaments, it may have been the difference between being ranked 44 and 24 you know, over the, over the course of a season. And that was, that was probably where I felt like that was the reason why my ranking never went higher. I mean, to, to play a really good season without playing master series events, you, you're basically re relying on doing extra, making a semi, I would say of a grand slam to, to bridge the gap and to peak at one tournament out of the four, you know, and you're putting yourself in the category of having to beat maybe three seeds to get there. That's that was quite demanding, and, and I never really achieved it. And that and that's fine. I'm okay with it. But if I could go back, I would probably have sort of attacked it maybe slightly different at the start, uh, because it seems like a lot of people do that these days. And I was fortunate to sort of give Neil that opportunity to then bridge that gap playing with Jamie. And now he's inside that. You can tell how much easier it is to pick up points. With a with a run and maintain his ranking, and now he's in a position now where he's he's obviously you know really chasing the number one spot. But explain that because to to somebody listening, that's like whoa 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 hold on you were forty four in the world, but you couldn't get into the next tournaments, and the only way that you could get your ranking in high enough to get into those tournaments is if you make semis of a Grand Slam. You know this is all feeling very grade four LTA rating, you know, like this, yeah. this seems weird in professional tennis. So just yeah. in, in layman's terms, in simple terms, explain to our listeners how that is. And, 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 and my second bit on that, Ken, is you mentioned you would maybe have attacked it differently in the yeah. beginning. Ex explain that bit as well. Yeah. So obviously you have a world ranking, a doubles world ranking, each individual players, you combine the, let's say I'm playing with Colin, Colin's ranked 40, I'm ranked 41, our combined ranking is 81. So we, we enter a tournament with the ranking of 81, it's not your individual ranking. So then you obviously go down the list of, you know, the world number one and number two, they're three in the world, you know, they're, they're ranked 
number one in the no, sorry, number one and two would be three. That's their ranking, and so on. Uh, so to eighty-one, it's 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 not a bad number. But the problem is, you're also facing the singles guys who potentially enter it. So at the time, let's say Federer and Nadal enter, they're one and two. They're also three when it comes to entry. So if you add all the singles guys into it, 81 doesn't really get you into many master series, if any. Um, you know, I think the Indian Wells master series is probably the toughest one. And I think the cut for that is 55. So in, in layman's terms, 22 and 23 in the doubles rankings get you in. But a guy ranked 24 in the world in doubles will miss out if they don't have someone inside that ranking. So it's it's a really brutal system because it's not many doubles players that potentially get to play some of these big master series events. Um, and when it comes to bridging the gap to win, um, or let's say the final of a 250 event where you come up against other players of that you know similar ranking or above, you get 150 points. A win is 250. But to win a round at a, a master series, it's 90 points, then it goes to 180, 360, um, and then 600, I think it is, for the final, and then 1,000. So the points accumulation is a lot greater at the, the master series events. And them guys obviously deserve to be there because they've obviously done what we have done over the year, uh, accumulating points. But once you bridge that gap and you're inside that ranking, to win one match to make 90 is the same as having to win two matches against similar type opponents. So you just have to have an extremely good season to bridge the gap. And, and it's, it's difficult. And a lot of players fall short of that. Um, but from a master series event, there's only nine in the year. And I'd, I'd say if you rank 40, you, you probably maybe get into one. Um, I think there's maybe one at the end of the year in Paris where you've got a sniff, uh, but most of the other ones, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get that chance. So a couple of things for me. Firstly, we went to university together for, for anybody listening and we lived together. So I know I know that you're a university student. What's 22 plus 23? 55. 45. <laughs> Just, I can't let that one go because <laughs> you said in layman's terms, in simple terms, you got to be 55 and then you get so 22 and 23. So that yeah. was just, that was an error. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm going dark here. <laughs> it was, uh, if you get any more wrong answers, you're going to go even darker. So anyway, he means 32 and 23, but that's not to, not to labor that point too much, but the, this, <laughs> the, the, I'm going to get some grief for that. Now. <laughs> the fact that you answered it wrong the second time. Yes, you will. I think um, the second point is, ATP councils are out there. You know, the, the, the representation is fraught. We had Ross Hutchins actually on the, on, the, on the show a couple of weeks ago. But the representation is from singles guys of certain rankings, doubles guys of certain rankings. Surely that is a, is a, is a point on the agenda that needs to be pushed. You know, if, if there's, I guess if there's any barrier in place that's potentially preventing someone from just having a fair a fair ride and passage uh, as as the next person is something that needs to be looked and looked at so the first part of the question is that the second part is if you are on that ATP council or you are making the decision what change would you make to that rule that you think would then make the slope a little bit 
cleaner and a little bit fairer because it is ridiculous that Ken Skupski has had the career he's had and been ranked or won the events that you've won, never got an opportunity to play at those Masters events. Yeah, I, I think going going back to the answers that I sort of got while I was playing and sort of at the, at the early point of my career, it was always the idea that people want to see singles guys on, on the doubles court and, and, and that, you know, putting bums on seats, it's a business. Um, so if you can have someone I like get that. You know, getting Nadal into a doubles draw or, you know, another top 10 player. I, I completely agree. I think I think it is something that they need to have. The problem is, is and you know, no disrespect to any name that let's say I mention, is when you get a guy who's ranked 35 singles, who doesn't really play much doubles, but will all of a sudden be in the Master Series events, maybe because it's a financial, you know, incentive to get an extra little bit of cash, you know... I think there could be a cut. My, my, my suggestion is you'd put a limit on if on that particular week when there's a an entry. If you are top 10 in the world, you're able to use your singles ranking to get into doubles. I think that's allowed. Um, but I, I just find it difficult. Anybody, you know, going to all different levels of tournament, not just master series events, but some guys who are trying to push their ranking up miss out because a guy randomly wants to use the, the doubles draw as an opportunity to just get on the match court before they play their singles. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying people go on there and tank or anything like that, but people are, you know, people are trying to make a living out of doubles. And I think that's, you know, we, we should respect that and, and not sort of find ourselves having walkovers in the doubles draw because somebody, well, I've played a lot of singles matches. I'll just, you know, I'll just not play the doubles or I've lost in singles and are, I need to get home now or get to the next tournament. And then someone's missed out. Uh, they're really difficult moments because obviously I think we've all been on the, the wrong end of that. And you just think, you look at the draw and you see someone, you know, decide that it's just not something that they want to do. And they, they, they give a walk over or they go home. And it's, it's, it's a tough one because they obviously, singles guys deserve to be there as well because they're exceptionally good at what they do. But, but my, my point, Ken, I think is that, and I'm not underplaying that point because I think you, the point you make is, is, is a good one. I think it, it's very clear for people to see, you know, going, going back to when I played 130 or just before I, it was one of the reasons I stopped actually, was I was ranked like 150. A year earlier, if I was ranked 130, I would have been getting in Grand Slams. But then yeah. you had to become 65. It, it, so that I get, but the point I'm trying to make is, you alluded to the fact that the points are so significantly greater at at the the master series event. So so I guess for you at home, if you're in there and people have got piggybacks in there from playing with whether it's Andy Murray or playing with somebody at, at the top of the ranking to to make up someone, let's say someone 60 in the world playing with Andy Murray has a collective ranking of 63. So they're getting into some of those events. Good maths. And, and, but my point, the point you alluded to was the points are so significantly greater at those events that no matter how you're really doing an ATP events, unless maybe you're winning 10 of them, which is extremely hard, ATP 500s. It's very hard for you to break down that barrier 
of inside 35, 30 in the world in doubles in order to get into the event the right way with your partner. It's doubles. It should be that you're doing it with your partner and having that opportunity. Whereas if the points were less and a little bit more fair and comparative to, to the points through the stages, it makes it a bit of an easier passage for, for players, I guess, to, to find where they may lay rather than someone could have a really bad year, win a couple of matches at, 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 at a thousand master series events, get a couple of walkovers and maintain their ranking. Whereas Ken Skupski and Johnny O'Mara are fighting tooth and nail to win two fifties and even dropping down to win some challenges and you're not making up that ranking difference. That seems to me to be wrong. Is that is that a point in on, on the agendas that have been talked about between, or is it just accepted that's how it is? I think a lot of the time it's just accepted that that's where we're at. Um, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit of a disappointment from the points perspective. I I think slightly different from the singles tour because obviously the singles guys have got a set schedule. They get appearance monies potentially certain events. But with the doubles, every doubles guy who, who really is obviously at the highest rankings, they can all play in the 500s. And there's not very many spots because it's 16 draw. So in, obviously in the singles draw, there's 32. When they have two tournaments, they're still exceptionally strong because of the two tournaments, you'll still find three or four singles guys will then enter them tournaments as well. So to get into the 500s, because they're smaller draws, they're actually the bridge between the 250s and the 1000s. The 500s are one of the most difficult tournaments right, to get into. Okay. That, that's the diff difficulty because we're not just competing to get the Masters. The 500s as well are basically made up of guys that are in the 1000s. And then the 250 guys are everybody else. Um, so there, that, that gap is, is the one that I find the most difficult because there's not that many 500s. If more 250 guys were able to get into the 500 events, then they'd have more opportunity to pick up 90, 180, 360, 500s than, you know, the, the, obviously the Master Series, which is the same sort of format with double, double points. With the 45-90 situation with the mass, uh, for the 250 events, you basically have to win six or seven of them events or at least do really, really well in them to, to bridge the gap. And to do that over the course of a year, it just isn't that many teams that do it. Um, yeah. so, so to fall outside the, you know, the, the top 35 and 40 is a big drop. You know, there are players that do it and they find it really difficult to break that back into that sort of group um, unless they, as you say, they can piggyback maybe someone to get back in there. Moving forward, and, and again, a reflective question. When you look back at your your career, your experiences, you know the, the memories that you've created. What are the, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from that? Um, I think you get out of the sport what you put into it. Um, you know, I I was very excited at the start when I when I got on the tour and did well at this well, what I considered doing well going from playing challenges up to top 50 in a short space of time with Colin um, I sort of got a little bit complacent um, early on because I was like oh wow I'm now at this level and this is where I'm going to be for the next however long 
that that first year was obviously eye-opening in terms of an enjoyment perspective and, and, and going with the flow. But then the reality of having to, to defend them big points when they came round again was was really the, the stress that I, I faced. I haven't had any stress like that since. And I really struggled with it because it was the first time defending winning ATP events became something that I had to look look at and think, you know, even though they were three months down the line, it was something sort of on your shoulder, all them points are on your shoulder, sort of like, you know what, you're about to drop in the rankings, Ken, you really need to start winning some tennis matches. So, you know, serving for a match became a lot bigger deal mm. or dealing with a, you know, a loss that way you maybe had match points. It just became a bigger deal than it really should have been um, because the level of our tennis was fine. And you can have bad runs. You can play good tennis and still lose at the level that we play at. Um, and I, and I, I, I had a bit of a slump with confidence because I just didn't feel like I was able to. I was able to maybe play that level of tennis that I first did, or if I'm ever going to get back up to that ranking again because I, you know, I dropped down. Colin and I decided that we weren't going to play anymore together. So I just, I basically felt sorry for myself. But I had to sort of you know, give myself a kick up the arse and, 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 and start again. And, and, you know, I, I think I did a good, good job with that. Um, but it took a while to appreciate where I was and respect that you still have to put the work in, even though you're there. And if you want to make that jump, you have to, you have to kick on. And obviously I never kicked on to get to the rankings that I was hoping for, but I did stuff in the game that I was really pleased with. And um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily regret anything that I did. And, and how did you then, because I think the, the point you bring up there about defending points, it's, it's, it's real, you know, and I think as a, as a coach, even like some of the best years I've had with players have been their first years on tour. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like every match they win, their ranking goes up and there's yeah. such a feel good factor. And That's everyone true. around, it's, oh my God, look how well, you know, I remember Lloyd Glass, Lloyd Glasspool went from, zero to 280 in 12 months. Yeah. Um, sort of Pana Udvardi, you know, and, and these players, it's like every, you know, making a quarter final was like, that's another three points and that's another 50 spaces. And it, it's quite exciting. Whereas the reality of the second year, which is often, and this is a nice bit of advice for any up and coming players, second year is often the toughest because it's the first time you experience the defending so now that you have been a bit of a grandpa and you've gone through it so many times, I guess, how did you manage to switch the mindset to be able to then cope and manage with that challenge of, of being the defender of, of a title or, or points, up and coming points? Um, uh, don't forget, not, not just ranking points. When you actually look at your bank account, you actually realise, oh, you know, there's, there's something in there finally, you know, because for all them years of, you know, starting off, you, 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 you're playing with nothing really, you know, you get a little bit of help from some people, maybe, you know, a bit of LTA support, you know, the bonus schemes and stuff like that, but you don't really have that much to play with. Uh, Quickly on that, Ken, personal question. Don't need to see your bank bank balance as such. Have you made money from the sport being a, a, a regular top 50 doubles player? Absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't have played, been able to play it because I've got a wife who probably wants me to make, you know, a living and, you know, I've got to provide for the family. I, I love the sport. I played it because I loved it, but I also played it because I was doing well. And that, that's, that's, 
that's a it's a difficult question to know what what is making money but I didn't think I was able to do something else straight away to be able to make the money that I was making at the time that I was playing. I think that's uh, the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that was, that was obviously a, you know, a really nice feeling when you do play a big tournament and you do well and you see your bank balance and you, you know, there's obviously much bigger numbers that people can talk about in tennis, but for, for me personally, you know, seeing certain numbers, get the bank account, they, they, they were numbers I'd not seen before. Um, and obviously they became a bit more normal at t- after, after a while, but it, it is a great feeling and, and you do get confidence from seeing that and you want more of it and you want to try and beat your biggest earnings at certain times. So yeah, the, the, the defending and, and, and the sort of the, the reality of looking at your, you know, the amount of money you could win per match, you've got to try and put it aside. You've got to try and focus on the process in which you go about winning a tennis tournament. You know, I, I always enjoyed the training weeks before tournaments because I felt like if you put the effort in, there's more chance that you're going to come away with something. If you sort of put a half-assed effort in, the reality is you might still do well, but you can't complain if you don't do well because you haven't put the effort in. Um, so I, I enjoyed the training element of things. I enjoyed the practice. I, I quite like doing tech work. I quite liked and you know, going out there and trying to improve in my game, adding a new shot, changing the sort of psychology of the way I would approach the way I would play a certain match or a certain point. Um, and and I'd, I'd, I'd build confidence from spending time on the tennis court in the practice sessions that led into tournaments. And one that I like, and I, I often, when I'm at tournaments, I ask this question to players. I'll ch- I change the age that I ask it, but... I think it's a I think it's a one that's nice for people to hear the answer of is if you were to go back and speak to 18-year-old Ken Skopsky, just turned up at LSU, you know, about to go through your your college career, that obviously you didn't know what lied ahead for, for you in that. And you certainly didn't know what lied ahead for you over the next 20 years as you as you made such a success of your pro career. What what would you do different? What messages would you give to that eighteen year old Ken Skopsky? Um, that's a tough question because I wouldn't say I would do anything that different. Obviously, the you know the small moments of maybe playing with a different partner at certain times because choosing a partner is a very difficult thing because it's not just how good the guy is on the other you know on the on the other side of the court. It, it's it's what he's like off the court. Does he have the right morals to, to be with? You know, is he a good guy generally? Um, you know, I've, I, I found it difficult to play with a guy I didn't really, and you know, I'd fight harder for someone who I felt like I was friends with because I felt the passion that they would bring to the court as well. You know, obviously playing with your brother is very different to any other partner, so it's hard to use him as an example. But, you know, Johnny O'Mara was my last partner and it was someone I, I enjoyed playing with because he, He's got great energy and he's got a great attitude about tennis. And I just love that about him. It, it's not about trying to find necessarily the best player, yeah. but it's finding somebody that you've got that connection with where you feel like you can give that extra bit of effort because you know both of you are going to enjoy that moment more when you come off the court. You can get players that play with someone and they, and they just go off on their own and they don't see them until the next practice session. And that, I find that difficult to enjoy. That, that, that's where 
being on the tour is just not as fun for me. You you know, you're in there in a team environment. I know there's a team of two or maybe an, an additional coach or whatever, but I would be surprised if, if, a, if a top football team had players where they didn't embrace each other off the pitch as well. The best, you know, I use Liverpool as an example. The best team that I've ever seen is the current one because the manager creates an atmosphere around the dressing room and it seems around harmony of the team to be the best on and off the field. And I think if you can do that in, in the tennis world as well, you've got a better chance. And what is it that, that people often get wrong about you? Is this something that people get wrong that, that isn't accurate about yourself? I've said this before, but I can't really think of anything. I'm a bit of a straight shooter, I would say. Um, I, no, you're not, I, you're not an Everton fan, are you? <laughs> no, I'm certainly not an Everton. Now, there's nothing that I can think of that that sort of springs to mind. I, I, no, no, honestly, I've got nothing at the moment for that one. That's that that's that stumped me a little bit. So you think everyone that knows Ken Skubsky, they get what they see. You are what you are. Pretty much, yeah. You know, I'm a I'm a simple guy, um, but yeah, you know, I try to be nice to people. I try to do the right thing, and you know. It's you get what you get. Exactly what you say. It's 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 simple as. And I, you know, I I try my best on the court, but I try not to let it get me too down if if things don't go well and don't get too high if you know if if you have a good day. And the thing that you're you're most proud of, you know, and, and if if I lead you into this, I was fortunate enough and have been fortunate enough to 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 know yourself and and the family for many years haven't spent as much time with you the last few years as I would like, but I go back to coming to, to practice with yourself after, I think it was maybe after your first semester in America. And I think I came and I stayed, stayed at the family house. And it was very clear to me that the Skupski family was a very proud family. You know, yeah. they're very, very proud of, of where they were from, your dad, and not to leave your mum out, but it was very clear to me your dad had quite a clear vision for you boys. And and even though I know you'd you'd had a had a decent junior career, um, Neil Neil wasn't as well known, uh, but there was there was a there was a pathway that was there. There was a there was a belief and there was a pride that you know the boys are going to do this. They're gonna they're gonna do it together. They're gonna play doubles together. The vision was quite clear. You know, and that, you know, for me, certainly watching you guys over the years and every now and then when I do text you and I let you know how proud I am of you guys and, the, you know, fellow LSU Tigers and watching the way that you guys have done it. So there's so much for you to be proud of. What is the thing that makes you most proud of what you've done over the last 16, 18 years? Um. I mean, you, you covered a lot there, but yeah, obviously as a, as a family, it's been something that we, I think we all dreamed about, but the reality of tennis is it's, you know, it only takes one injury for that all to potentially go, go pear shaped. And, you know, I, I was able to play what I love, what I, you know, what I grew up wanting to do for, you know, I'm 39, not many players get to the age of 39 and still get to play professional tennis. And let's be honest, I, I could have gone longer. I mean, I could have at least played maybe another 12 months and not stressed, you know, about necessarily dropping out of the challenger level. You know, I, I still felt I had plenty of good tennis in me. Um, but 
go, going back to, you know, the, the, the moments that would potentially make me most proud is obviously representing a country. You know, if you get to represent your country at any level, whether that's Commonwealth Games for me, whether that's, um, you know, Davis Cup, that, them moments are, are huge because you, 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 it's not just about you, it's about, you know, a, a nation. Um, I, I, I wish I could have got to have played the Olympics, maybe. I think that would have been something nice um, yeah. to experience. Having played Commonwealth, knowing how big the Olympics is, that would have been great. But most proud is, you know, is, is also making everybody else proud that, I've, that what I've achieved is, you know, someone can can look at me and say, yeah, you, you've, you've maximised your career and, and, and you've gone on to play tennis for, you know, as you say, like 18 years, which is, you know, it's a long time in, in the tennis world, in any sport. Um, and I was able to play it at the highest level for quite a long time, can, you know, winning my biggest tournament at 38. I'd, I'd say that probably is, you know, something that I was so excited about when it happened. So you should be, you know, and, and, and I, I don't know if you heard... Neil's words about you on our on our Wimbledon review, but he he said some lovely words about you, and certainly, and, and I think I said back to him, I said, like when we're sitting having a beer in our front room all of those years ago in Tigerland, never in a million zillion years would I think twenty two years later that that one of us was was still playing on the highest stage, and you know I think. Anyone can have a good week or a good year, but someone to sustain that that career over such a long span for me that 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 for me is incredible. You know, I was certainly unable to do it. You know, I think lots of people are. I think the average, I know doubles is a little bit more, but I think the average time is six or seven years on the ATP tour, certainly for the singles guys. And, and that's because it is such a challenge to do it. So when you've gone through all of that, there's so much that you will obviously take with you into this next phase of your life. You've got the Skupski Doubles Academy, which is it seems to have started really well. But if you, again, reflective question, what are, the, what are three big things that you are taken from your tennis career into that next stage of life? Um, I think when you face adversity or when things are going extremely well, I, I try not to get too up or too down. You know, you can always deal with a problem. You know, we as a tennis player, you've got so many things to go in on your head in terms of you know, how to deal with, you know, conditions, how to deal with your opponent, how to deal with how you're playing, how to deal mentally, how things are going. You have to really get all this under control to really be good at what you do. Um, you know, I, let's say, you know, going into later life, you know, we're flying on holiday next week. You know, if we have trouble at the airport, I think my wife would struggle with dealing with the adversity of a problem. But it's it's a simple problem that we will fix. You know, it's it's trying to just, think rationally about the problem and and there are answers but you've got to stay calm you've got to stay sort of in the moment and not get too up too down um that's one thing and, and the second thing is obviously giving back to the next generation for me i've got to now look to my kids and how i want them to grow up and be you know good people um you know having having respect is a, is a big thing in life i think that sometimes gets a little bit lost at times in the tennis world you can you can sort of feel like you may be too big once you get up into the top end and then you sort of forget where you've come from um so for me teaching the kids to have a lot of respect for others um is something that i you know hope is is something that i would hope they sort of see that i've done 
but for, for me also is time management trying to you know I've, I've obviously had three kids for a while now and and understanding when to practice how to practice you know making the most time that you have to do things um you know it it feels like yesterday we were at Tigerland as well, you know, and it does feel like it can go very quickly. Um, it obviously doesn't because it's been a long time in some respects, but it, it you can you can lose time just because you think that where you are at the moment is 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 the best thing ever. But it can disappear very quickly, whether that again, whether that's an injury or whether you just sort of take it for granted. You've got to work hard because there's always someone behind you who's willing to work harder. You know, I, I I moved up and around the rankings for a long time, but I I always knew if my ranking dropped that I'd have to work extra hard to get sort of back up there, and and I did that well with you know three or four different partners, and you know my my my, my challenger record sort of speaks for itself. I, I just felt like I knew I could sort of do well at that level, um, and and sort of get you know deal with adversity to sort of get myself back up there and and, and do well. It's it's such a good point you make. I think. So many, so many people in life catastrophize things, and it, it, one of my one of my favorite quotes or, or or sayings that helps me, and I I hope it helps people around me is, we're never that far away from playing well or for things to go well, and we're never that far away to play of playing badly and for things to go badly, and 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 I think if we're able to keep that kind of that that neutral ground a little bit, and and not get too up, not get too down. Realize we're never really in a position of of complete comfort because I think you know once we start lacking humility and we have complacency, life and tennis will bite us in the arse. <laughs> and, and 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 at the same time, we're never we're never so far away from turning things around when things aren't going as as well as we want to do. And that's very much a a life lesson that that I that I'm trying to live by, you know, trying to trying to pass that pass that on. And one of my big passions is that, you know, around tennis being a vehicle. You know, it takes us through life, and the bus stops, and you know, your bus has been going a while. It's done a few laps around the world, and you know, it's stopped now for you to jump on and 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 take your take your skills into another another part of of, of life and. But but I guess just for the listeners and for, for some of the youngsters listening, parents listening that maybe feel a little bit deluded about or disillusioned about what tennis is and they're never going to be able to win Wimbledon or they're never going to be able to do this. Just give us a couple more of those transferable skills, you know, that, that you you would have seen already. You've been running your business and your your academy for a couple of years now. You know, what what are some of the real positives of the sport that are often not talked about? Um yeah, I mean tra- traveling the world. I mean, we obviously get get to go to many places. I I never really got out to go and see the place that I went to because I basically again took it for granted that I was at a at a at a different hotel, different city. And I never really saw some of the places. And I wouldn't necessarily say every place that I went to I wanted to see. But there are certain times where you see other people and you think they're actually enjoying themselves while they're also there. And over time, I got to realize that you, if you if you manage your time better, it gives you more time to do other things. Um, at, the, at first, it was all just tennis, 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 tennis. And 
for some people that will work. But if you're if you're comfortable off the court, if you enjoy life off the court, whether that's you know, you know, I, I'm happily married and, and and things like that. If you you can you can really get to enjoy being on the court more if you've got a stress and you don't enjoy life and you you're not doing the right thing. Whether that's you know who you practice with or where you practice, all all them different type of things. You've got to be happy for the majority of your daytime to enjoy what you do on the tennis court. If you if you are you know always in a bad mood because you don't get enough sleep or these type of things, it's so difficult to all of a sudden switch it on that when you get on the court, oh everything's going to be fine again. It's it's not because yeah. you know you're you're in a bad frame of mind. Um, you know I've I've always tried to be quite a you know a, a pleasant guy. I don't try not to get as I say trying to you know, get too stressed about too many situations. You know, if, if Liverpool are winning, it keeps me happy. Um, but, but generally, you know, I, I try to sit, you know, wake up with a smile and, and be happy. And it, I try and, you know, obviously take that onto a tennis court and, and see where it takes me. But those, those things there that you, that you touch on, you, you've, that is learnt, learnt behaviours and learnt skills that, that the sport has also given you. You know, you know, you said about about your wife, maybe something happening at the airport. Maybe she hasn't had the experiences of dealing with adversity that you have through your tennis. So yeah. so then she hasn't developed the same level of skill that you have in that situation. And, and, and I just think it's so important that that people understand those are the real value of of the sport of tennis. You know, the, the the tournaments, the trophies is fantastic. But the real value of the journey is is from networks to life skills to opportunities to memories to all of all of those bits. And you've certainly created lots of them. Um, but moving it a little bit more into, into tennis specific, you've come up against some of the best players in the world. You've had wins over world number ones. Who's the toughest ever opponent that you've had and why? I mean, I was, I was fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to play the Brian quite a few times. Um, you know, the first time ever playing them, they, they were, they, I'm not going to say heroes, but they're the, they're the guys I look to as being the pinnacle of the sport because when I was in college, they were absolutely dominating everybody. So in my first year to play them and beat them with Flembo, um, that that was it was a really weird feeling because I couldn't have been any more nervous going on the court. Okay. I mean, playing on centre court at Queens, you know, first time out there on the big stage at, a, at a, an ATP event. Um, place was fairly busy, I think, very rowdy because it was later in the day, um, and I, I can't remember the warm up, and I probably can't remember the first three games. I literally, I couldn't put the ball in the court. My legs, my hand, I lost control of my body. But you have to find ways to manage you, yourself and you need to, you know, problem solve. You know, over, over the years, you have to figure out how do I get out of these situations to beat these top players? And fortunately, on that, on that particular day, Flembo started really well. Um, so it sort of calmed us down. So to, to beat the Bryans was one of the biggest achievements I ever had, but to play them after that, I think we gained a little bit of their respect. Um, and then they battered us, 
not particularly just me and Flembo, but everybody I've sort of played with, they think they beat us eight or nine times after that. Um, but when they are ahead, they are what the best front runners I've ever played because they play service games in 40 seconds. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I, and they don't do that much talking because they're so unique in terms of they, they know everything about what they do. They find themselves in a, in a great situation to, to just keep keep the ball rolling and you just felt suffocated by the guys. Um, it's like a battering ram. I, I had yeah. the, the opportunity back in 2005. We, we played the second round at Wimbledon yeah. and for a moment I felt we had them. You know, you had this kind of feeling of like, yeah. Yeah, we, we set all, we had break points in the third. And then it was like, like you said, as soon as they got ahead, I have no idea what happened. It, it was yeah. just like this energy just came at me. And they yeah. were just, they were just there. They were chest bumping. They were boom, boom, boom. Serves were going down. And, and before you knew it, you know, you're shaking hands and you're like, shit, what happened? Yeah. I'm sure we were almost like, we were about to be a breakup in the third and and now I'm shaking hands, losing in four sets, and I don't really know what's happening. Happened, yeah. and they were they were incredible, and to and to have that feeling and to experience it, it, yeah, they it really was something special. I don't think I'd had with other players. You know, I, I always felt like in other matches, uh, I had a chance, but when these guys got ahead, I didn't know how to manipulate the points to sort of get it away from their strengths or get them out of their comfort zone and put them in a sort of a negative mindset. They were just, they were brutal. And, and it was great to play against them as well, because it gave you that sort of experiences to use for myself when I played with Neil. Tennis as a whole, you're now in a position where you can say what you want, you know, in, 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 in lots of ways. Is the sport in a good place? I still look at the crowds and still think the age of the, av the average tennis player or the average tennis is a little bit too old. But yeah. for the way, the way tennis and other sports are going, uh, how do you change it? I, 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 I don't know. I think obviously the way they maybe market it, you know, that there's a new series coming out with Netflix. Maybe that will appeal to some new, new people. Yeah. I've seen the way Formula taken off with Drive to Survive. It's a, it's a great series. Um, so I'm intrigued to see how that plays out and, and if it'll, you know, brings a new sort of dynamic to the sport. Um, you know, I, I don't particularly like the idea of necessarily having shorter matches at Grand Slams, but then sometimes, you know, you sit there and you watch a five-set match and you think this is just too much. This is, you know, especially the way the game has gone and, and it's about the physicality of the sport. Um, I, I wish they would some some way of getting a bit more serve and volley involved. I'm not saying you have to serve volley every single point, but the the game has sort of been played a little bit too much in in the same way by too many too many sort of top hundred players. Um, you know, I, I think the surface and the balls have probably had the biggest cause of that, or the strings. Um, but yeah, I you know I I enjoy watching players. I mean, it's great to see Alcaraz coming forward a little bit. Um, you know, I you know even though Nick's a bit of a, a funny character, I do enjoy watching him play because he, he he brings a new energy to the court that a lot of people like, whether it's good or bad. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, the next generation is sort of starting to come through, and it's at some point Novak and Rafa will will obviously you know have to to take a back seat and, and the next generation comes through. But 
overall, it would be you know the getting the getting the younger crowd in and sort of seeing how, how the how the game can change in that way. I don't, I don't actually have an answer for it. I wish you know if you want to give me some cash, I'll I'll maybe come up with some solution. But at the moment, I don't have anything to sort of throw out there to to make things a little bit different. Yeah, because it, but I guess to me, I don't think grand slams are our problem. I think I think the grand slams are always pretty special. You yeah. Know, they- and- the slams you know speak for themselves and you know we we as players have always wanted to play them whether you know as we talk about the points or the money is different you want to play because you want to win the slam you know and yeah. I always felt this year was going to be exactly the same as every other year obviously we've we missed out on a few players but they still were going to try and win that tournament no matter whether there was points there or not yeah and, that, and the five the five set on the men's I'm not convinced about five set and doubles if I'm honest I yeah. think that potentially, well, it puts off it puts off certain people from playing it, which I, which you know, imagine Kyrgios had played doubles at Wimbledon if it was best of three. You know, I know he pulled out of the fight. That that brings more coverage to the doubles and potentially you know builds a, a little bit more excitement around it. But but I th- I don't think the numbers lie that the ATP two fifty and below are struggling a little bit. You Absolutely. know, struggling to attract new new crowds, struggling to really attract, and 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 I and I do just wonder if there is some some experimentation there. You know, I know you're you're someone who's been a big advocate of world team tennis. You've played it many years. Obviously, college boy. You know, you get that team environment, but I I, I even question that. It's kind of stuck in a place where nobody really wants to play. You know, it's it's the I call it the armpit of tennis in terms of the 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 time period, but I, I do wonder if there is a team format. There's a there's a there's some format change at that level, ATP, WTA, kind of two fifty level and below, that potentially grabs the imagination a little bit more. I would hate to think that we would lose our five-set men's matches at Grand Slams. You know, I just think the the climax that happens within those matches is is incredible. Um, so so how do, how is it going to look in 10 years? What's your prediction? 10 years' time, Does te- how does tennis look different to what it currently looks now? I definitely think there's a chance that the format gets shorter. I, I, I do feel like that there's an opportunity to maybe reduce Wimbledon to, to three to sort of, you know, fit in with the same sort of number of sets for the, you know, compared to the other slams because unique Wimbledon's unique in that way. Um, singles, I, I do hope it stays five, but I wouldn't be surprised if that goes to three as well. You know, I, I, may, Is maybe... Is that being talked about internally? Um, I mean, it's something that's always been a discussion over the years. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's something that's recent. Um, it's always been on the agenda, whether people think it's the right move or not the right move. I, I, I feel like the, the, the slams, are, 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 I've got that special feeling because of five sets. Um, but I certainly think maybe the, the the latter part of the tournament should be five sets. Um, you know, the final just has this feeling of, it's a special occasion. And, and you know, if you have, t- you know, you could have a couple of quick sets, you know, it's, you know, if you have a, Six one six two final. It just doesn't seem right. Um, at least over three sets, it, it gives the opponent a little bit of a, a sense of, you know, if they're ne- nervous and they lose the first set quickly, 
they've got a sense that they can get back into the match. Um, yeah, it's it's just difficult because that you know you're playing seven matches over 13, 14 days, and you know if you do have a really long match in a really tough you know environment with the weather, it just becomes really tough to see that player advance to a latter stages because the situation has got away from him really. Um, and if it was over three sets, they potentially could still have dealt with the situation and carried on I do find it sometimes difficult when you know someone enters the singles and the doubles and they know they're in the US Open when it's you know 85% humidity 90 degrees and then they they play doubles and they 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 sort of you know maybe put a semi-effort in when they're you know three all in the third set because they're thinking about their match the next day them type of scenarios obviously I would like to avoid for them for them guys but uh, but, you're, but you're talking there from a from a playing perspective, and and I guess what my challenge is for you in this, I would love to jump into a couple of things on it. Is how do we look at it from a fan's experience perspective? So if we park, we park Grand Slams, that's yeah. fine. Grand Slams, you know, the figures, the viewing figures, the 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 ticket sales, all of those things seem to be in a really good place they're trialing or they've started now. I know they've done it for WTA for a while, but ATP now coaches are able to speak to their parents, uh, their parents, coaches are able to speak to their players. Um, and I guess me for one, I guess we, what way that I think we have to look at this is, and think about your kids, what engages your kids? You know, what, what's, what's grabbing now? It's weird because some Kids are watching YouTube and watching people like unpack Christmas presents and stuff. There's some bizarre stuff out there. But oh, yeah. what, <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching Peppa Pig in Russian, you know, whatever, you know, just like all sorts. But, but what is it that's going to engage? Our household, I think it's more the individual. Like, let's say my my middle one is a football fan. He He doesn't like Man United, but he likes Ronaldo because he likes the brand Ronaldo. You know, yeah. I've tried get him off that subject quite quickly because we are see all Liverpool fans, but you know, it's, it's the individual that people are buying that they're not necessarily buying the, the, the entire product. They want to watch the individual. And now he's moved into the Rafa Nadal sort of, you know, um, catalog of YouTube videos. And, it, and he just finds he embraces the old excitement about the in-between points is, is, is energy, his, his bull-like attitude he, he just embraces that and he loves it. And now he goes out on the court and he, you know, he's doing the fist pumps and he's doing all them yeah. type of things. He wants to be Rafa, obviously in the tennis side, but the way he acts as well, that's, that's plays a big part in his mind. Um, so that's, that's, yeah, it's, that's where I think Nick Kyrgios has a big fan base because he does show a different side of tennis that we haven't seen for quite some time because we've, the way the authorities have been, they don't want racket smashing. They don't want verbal abuse to the umpire. These type of things have been taken away. And, and in some ways, I don't want my kids to see that either. But he does push the boundaries of the sport and people embrace that. And, you know... It, You'll it, be it, seeing a lot worse on TikTok, man. I promise you. If you <laughs> it, it, like, once your kid's got a phone, uh, yeah. uh, the least of your worries is Nick Kyrgios saying the F word and throwing his tennis racket. Do you know That's what I mean? It's it's out there, and and I think just for me, I always think about, and we're all in that. We're in that instant gratification world where 
a Netflix show finishes. We don't wait for it to give us the the bit that tells us who's in the the no. show. It's skip skip to next episode, and then we don't want to we don't want to watch the, the highlights from the previous episode. So there's even a button now where you can like skip skip to the start, and you don't have to listen to that bit, you know. And we we I guess if we take a tennis match, I think an absolute given for me is we need to get rid of the warm up. You know, yeah. we we just don't need players walking on court and then watch them watch them arse around for 10, 10 minutes. I know it's supposed yeah. to be five, but arse around for five five minutes putting the shoes on and then five minutes tickling a few balls around. I yeah. I I do wonder that space. If we think about adverts, like it's pointless paying for an advert on television anymore because nobody watches them. People yeah. either get their phones out or they wait to watch the program so they can skip they can skip the adverts. So yeah. so the, the 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 changeover is is a part that we need to find some entertainment. And I for one, and I don't know how much this would engage youngsters, I would love to hear the coaches. Uh, yeah, I, I do. I do too. I want. I want to see how they they engage back and forth both ways, not just player to you know coach to player, but player to coach as well, and see that dialogue because other sports are using it, and I, I don't see the reason why we can't listen in too. And, and I just think those are a couple of things that I don't want us to change structurally as a sport. You know, I love the I love the history, I love the tradition, I love so many things, and I think once you start changing too many scoring systems you potentially lose a bit of that but I think there's a couple of little wins there that we can get um, but let's see if five ten years time who knows but my last couple of quick fire the end of the quick fire round has to come at the very end and, and just a couple of questions just to put you on the spot and see see what you've got in your locker how many grand slams does your bro win he's got two it's a tough question. Uh, I'm going to say four. Uh, that, uh, maybe more. more of a hopeful brother. And US Open is our next Grand Slam. Give us a female singles winner. I mean, last last year was an incredible run. That's been that's been an amazing sort of. 12 months that we will see how that sort of plays out. Um, Second year on the tour, defending points. A yeah. Of pressure. A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. And, and, and it is, it's been really difficult. Um, I think Sweetek's been amazing this year. I've really enjoyed watching her play. You know, she, she plays, I think she's been to, to your place a couple of times. Um, she's playing some really great tennis. So I, I'm going to have to just go with the, the favourite, really. What, what about on the men's side? The men's side, I think Novak, is he allowed to play? I don't think he is. Not right now. Doesn't look like he's going to get to play. I have enjoyed watching Nick play the last few weeks, but I think he's been really engaged in it. I think that's been great to see. Uh, is Rafa? No. I'm going to say Nick Kyrgios. I'm going to say he, he, he breaks his duck and he, and he gets himself in the right frame of mind and he, and he has another great run in the Grand Slam. And what about world number one, men and women's three three years from now? So I say three years because surely Rafa's gone. Roger has definitely gone. Novak is on his way out. 
So who's no, our who's no, our world no, of one? There are thereabouts, I think, still. It depends, obviously, how, how the season plays out with if he's allowed to play all the tournaments. I, I do think Alcaraz is the next superstar. I know he is a superstar already, but I, I think he is going to really take the sport on and and be one of these next big big names. I think you've obviously got Zverev and Tsitsipas, these guys that are that are doing well, but they've obviously been there a while now. And I think you know Alcaraz is just as good now, and I think he's you know he's he's so mentally strong in them big moments. So I'm going to say Alcaraz. I think he's the world number one. Women's. Uh, I think Swiatek still could be there. I don't see the reason why not. Yeah. Uh, how old is she now? She's 20, 2021. No, no, only 20, 20. I think she might have turned 21. But okay. she, when she won her first French, she was 19. So yeah, that yeah. was only a couple of years ago. Still a baby in the sport. So I'm going to say she's still there. And my, my last question, <clears throat> and I'm only asking you this now because you're not going to be relevant for much longer now you've retired. You know, you're you're no different to Dan Keenan now. You're just a no. just a tennis coach. Your yeah. your ranking will be gone in eleven months' time. You know, you might have an LTA rating and a UTR, but that's <laughs> about all you'll have. So, whilst you are still relevant, who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Oh, let's try and think outside the box. Um... You've got to produce as well. It's no good firing me this like famous name, but then not getting them. Not you know, you're you're taking on the responsibility here. So you know, if you're going to go big, that's fine, but make sure you can you managed, produce. Managed to get Andy Murray on there yet, mate? I have tried, <laughs> like literally, and and, and I promise to, you, it's tough to get hold of. I have tried so many different ways to get Andy. I've even tried to entice him by telling, telling the story about the five times that I beat him on the doubles court and he never got me back. So, you know, maybe he can come and like fight for himself. You know, I'm tr- yeah. I've tried so many different ways. I can assure you the listeners that I am continuing to try. Now, what I haven't tried is with the guy who was hugging him on the ground after yeah. he won the Davis cup. So that's yeah. a special bond. I'll, I'll send him a text, see what he says. Yeah, so that's... So let's... Probably that you got. <laughs> you know, a, a retirement present. <laughs> uh, Ken Skubsky, uh, a massive well done, uh, first and foremost, of uh, an incredible career, you know, to, to see how you've done it and not just to see how you've done it in terms of in terms of the achievements you've had, but the, the way that you've done it, you know, and the the friendships that you've made, you know, the smile that you've had and you're, you're a big inspiration to, to me. You're a big inspiration to many. So a big, big, well done. Enjoy the other side. It's uh, the grass is not always greener, my friend, but I'm sure that you will have an amazing next few years as, as a dad, as a family man, and you have so much to offer on, on the other side as well. So all the very best and we need to catch up soon. Cheers, Keno. As always, it was it was great to talk to Ken Skopsky, uh, an old college roommate of mine. Boy has done good. And to see him go through the last 18 years of his career, uh, big well done, Ken. Thanks for joining us. And and I've got Vicky with me. She's she's not next to me. She's across a screen from me because I'm, as we're bringing this 
outro to this episode together. I am um, I'm in Switzerland and there's a lot worse places that I could be, but uh, how how's it back in Spain? Well, it's not as beautiful as there. God, these pictures you keep sending us at base, they're not going down well. <laughs> it looks so beautiful. It's it's stunning. I I I must admit, I I can't quite believe how stunning it is. Like I keep like catching myself and I walk down to the lake where we're right on Lake Lake Geneva, and it feels as if at every turn there's a perfect postcard moment. Well, we've uh, so seen all of those moments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to enjoy this one. I've done. I've done my fair share of true. dodgy trips. And <laughs> and look, if if there's if there's any consolation for you, I'm sitting here sweating. In the <laughs> Switzerland is beautiful, but it's also very expensive. So the the four or five star hotels were certainly out of budget. We're in a hostel here uh, without air conditioning. It's 36 degrees outside. I've had to turn off the dodgy fan. Not that the fan was necessarily keeping me cold, but there was a bit of air, a bit of warm air being circulated and shut the windows to make sure there's no noise for this. So I apologise for the for the sweaty face um, and if that makes you feel a little bit better. But no, I'm here for a 10 pro event, the Swiss ball of a few young players, including our son, Matthew. Um, uh, it's going to be a competition that's going to be going for the next seven days. I guarantee of four matches each age group and you know the boys will be playing two age groups so a guarantee of eight matches so really nice event um yeah look out for those results and don't feel too sorry for myself as i'm jumping into cool down in lake geneva later on this evening Gosh. <laughs> but hey i've been so excited about listening to this one and hearing ken's reflections really on his career and what a career it's been 18 years just unbelievable incredible really and and i think I guess there's 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 lots of lots of thoughts, lots of places we can take this chat, but you know, ultimately, Ken Skupski has proven that you can live a relatively normal life. You can, you know, by his own admission, he was never a superstar. That being said, he was third round junior Wimbledon back in the day, so he was a very good player. Ken, very skillful boy, you know, coming into college had a good good college career, you know, and I I, I certainly never expected 18 years later we'd see him still in the third round at Wimbledon um, but the fact that he's done it and he's done it in a way that like I say it just seems quite normal you know he's he's got married he's had three kids he's you know not a whole lot of fuss um, he seems to still manage to keep his life he's got a very close family not just his immediate family but obviously parents and aunties uncles cousins in, in Liverpool and it's yeah, it's been lovely to see. And like he said, he probably could have kept going. You know, he's still proven this year what an ATP event this year as well with his brother. He's proven that he's he's still got. Or was that last year that he won the ATP event? Anyway, regardless, he's he's still got that level, and uh, and he's now made the choice to move into that next phase of his career. And I think he's a he's a nice inspiration, another nice story for people to get their heads around. You could hear as he was talking just all the years of experience. I think that transition into coaching is 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 going to be really interesting for him because well, quite an easy move, I would I would imagine. But I was thinking when I was listening, oh, we should have had his wife Haley in for the last ten minutes. <laughs> I would love to hear her thoughts. Uh, she's had to you know raise the three boys for so long on her own with Ken kind of tra- traveling, being away so many weeks of the year. It would have been great to hear from from her as well. <laughs> is she nervous? Is she 
excited or both? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think there's that that without a shadow of a doubt is is something I'd love to do. Actually, I think getting getting a wife of a player, you know, or a husband of a player on on the WTA or a wife of a wife, which you know, there's getting a partner that has had to deal with the highs and lows of of a tennis career. That insight is something we often don't think about and you know as, as the players are trooping off and you know I was saying it to a parent last night the, the traveling it sounds great but when you do it and, and even us coming here to Switzerland it look it's, it's amazing it's beautiful but we've it's been tough we got up at three o'clock in the morning on Monday you know nobody likes to get up at three o'clock in the morning you get trains planes and automobiles you, you get to the hotel that normally is the cheapest hotel because of what you can afford or Airbnb. You don't know what the air conditioning setup's going to be. You don't know. Yesterday we ran into, it was a national national day in Switzerland, so nothing was open. Waited for public transport for an hour to get to the tennis club. You know, and, and when you're doing that 25, 30 weeks a year for, for many, many years, it's, it's difficult, but you then add in the extra of calling home, making sure the kids are okay. Is 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 my husband and wife coping all right with it? And then what's going on at the other end? You know, there's so many layers to what this sport brings. And and I would I would certainly love whether it's Haley, whoever it is, to bring a bring a partner in because I think that would that would bring a, a great insight. But I just want to add Vicky on that. I, I also think that's what Ken's done well. I think he's he's normalized the winning and losing quite well. You know, and I, and I think, you know, having a, such a strong partner in your corner or having such a, a normal life in your corner, I think does massively help. And I think that's one of the big reasons that he's been able to play for 18 years and and have his, his highs and lows, but but not be too affected by it. You know, we say it all the time, if you're so affected by the losses and your whole world caves in. And then because of it, the people around you, that also happens. It's hard for you to spend 18 years on the tour. So I think that Ken's a great example of someone that's been able to get the right balance. And a strong family set up behind them as well. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but I would imagine Haley probably has um, some help from the family when he is away. I mean, I think the longest you ever did was four weeks maybe where after we had the kids. When you'd go, it would be fine for the first few days. And then I'd get to about the middle and be absolutely exhausted. I'd be, you know, we'd have some tough conversations on the phone. And then by the time, you know, it was looking for you to come back, I would have, we'd have settled into a routine. Everything was okay. We'd kind of found our rhythms. And then you would fly back in and I'm like, what are you doing? No, 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 we don't do that before bedtime with the kids. No, they're never going to go to sleep. Oh, no, 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 they don't have that then. And I'd be like, it would take a few days for me to adjust as much as you because everything would be thrown out of whack again. So if you're doing that over the space of yeah nine years, I think they're else is that's, that's a, lot, a lot of adjustments for them all. Oh, massive, massively so. And I guess what you've just explained there is why Ash Barty retired because you do that you do that from Australia, you don't, it's not just a four week trip, you know, you're traveling for eight, nine months of the year. And, you know, I, I, a lot of people, what are you doing at number one in the world just when Australian open, but that, that is it for me in a nutshell, you know, 25 years old, just getting married. I just saw she got married this week and, you know, she didn't want to be in a position 
where where that life was like that you know and, and it's it's not for everybody it's not for everybody um but certainly can seem to find a way and i just want to touch on your point hats, as well that you sorry i was just going to say and hats off to Haley as well because um there's not many women who'd be able to do that for so long with three children so you know unbelievable. She's tennis tennis coaches that. and tennis players other halves deserve deserve an absolute medal. You know, this is not a this is not a normal sport. But I was just saying, I'd, I'd love to just quickly pick up on the coaching part about how he's going to be as a coach. Look, Ken's been a coach for years. You know, and he's he was a natural coach. It was the same in college. You know, he had a real natural way about him, and and I think it's one of the big reasons that doubles is so well suited to him. You know, if you saw him with Neil. In the younger age, you know, he was very, very much his coach in every single corner. You know, maybe that tide's turned a little bit the last three or four years, but he's he's a he's a natural coach. You know, you see it with the way that he is, and he's been coaching and playing on the tour for the last few years. Uh, I think it's really exciting what he's doing. You know, doubles academy. Uh, I think it's it's nice that he's he's trying that. And, you know, I'm sure he'll have some nice success with it as well. But uh, a, a great guy, uh, a wonderful, a wonderful career, fantastic family. And we wish him all the very best. He does seem to enjoy um, the team environments. What was he like as a teammate at LSU? Yeah, it, it, it's a hard one because actually we weren't, his, his first year was my last year, but his first year he was a redshirt. Um, so he, so we never actually competed in the same team. Um, we we lived together for twelve months, and he was a great guy to have around. You know, he was someone I would say actually on on memory, and maybe it was a little bit because he wasn't fully in the team, but he was it was definitely a an individuality about him actually, um, and and he was thinking different. You know, he was he was there to become a professional tennis player. I do remember that quite clearly, you know, and I think uh, I don't know how that then went the years after I left. And I know he was a great LSU LSU teammate to many. But that was definitely my feeling when he was there, that he was he was there for business. And obviously, one of the best things you can do as a teammate is win your matches and and have some success and, and lead through actions. Um, and that was that was something that I'm sure he did, um, but but I'd I'd be lying if I said he was this guy who came in and was just it's all about the team. It wasn't. You could see he was there to develop to develop his his own career, and in doing that, he was he was also then I'm sure a very very good teammate. Yeah, because you can do both. One hundred percent. Look, that's not a that's not a negative at all. It's it's you know I, I think if I take myself. I never, ever really thought about myself and my own career. You know, I was just head down. Everything was about the team. That's all that mattered. And actually, when I when I came out of college, I wasn't mentally ready to be able to, to, to develop my own career. You know, so so actually that way of being is, is often to the detriment because I guess college is four or five years of your life. And yes, you you want to give your best and you want to be the best teammate you can be. But at the same time, you are setting yourself up for the next stage of your career. And very much I felt that Ken had that maturity that he knew that that was going to play a role 
a stepping stone into into the next part of his career, you know. And I think that definitely came from his from his parents. His dad was a big push. We talked about that in the episode, and then obviously Neil came in with that same that same mentality as well. And look at look at the success they've had. Neil's a two time Grand Slam champion. I'm sure gonna gonna win more. And and I think having that clear vision on with a career and not setting any boundaries is is a massive plus of the Skopsky Skopsky family and what they've achieved. And it's obvious LSU has played has been a massive part of the the family's life. Really, we had a lovely uh, story from Desiree Kravchuk in the Wimbledon Review where she was talking to Neil and she got to meet Mister Skopsky for the first time and. And she'd mistaken him for an LSU scout because he was dressed head to toe in LSU gear all these years later. Yeah, no, they have. They're, they're big, big advocates. And and again, look, it, you see it with lots of the universities, but LSU gets into your blood. You know, it's got into my blood and it's it's something that is 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 very special to you. You know, and you, there's a home I know that Neil, Neil's girlfriend or fiance still lives out there. So he spends a lot of time, a lot of time still out in Baton Rouge, just like Cameron Norrie, I know, spends a lot of training at TCU, you know, out where he played, he played college as well. And, you know, if you get it right, you get the right connection out there, it becomes another home for life. And it sits somewhere that one can be a training base when you're a professional, but you then have all of the support from the Tiger Nation or whichever university it is behind you as well. And I know that everyone's very much been behind the Skopskis. And he, I could see him being a college coach as well, Ken. I don't know if, where it fits into his family life and, and where it goes, but I, I certainly think maybe we get the Kean and Skopsky dream at some point <laughs> back, at L, back at LSU uh, mm-hmm. after maybe after the kids have flown the nest. <laughs> and uh, do you think he'll manage to get Andy? <laughs> he didn't sound particularly confident. <laughs> no chance. Zero chance. I mean... <laughs> I, I think uh, no, no chance. I, I think he's Andy's just become the the un the uncontactable man, and I'll actually ch- I'll chase him up on it. But I think absolutely zero chance that that Ken Skopsky pulls out Andy Murray for the podcast. I think the best bet I have is if I if I bump into Andy at some point and I manage to get him face to face, eye to eye, and you know make him pull on his heartstrings in, in that way. Otherwise, I think it's it's too easy to say no, isn't it? And I think Andy's such a focused guy. You can see he's obviously, you know, just to take an hour, hour and a half to do a podcast, probably in the current headspace he in, is in, might not be what he what he wants to do. So um, we hope he can turn his career back around and we get him back in a better headspace. That's maybe the time to ask the question. And he'll stay top of our list in the meantime. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Well, Roger, I mean, Roger's probably number one on my list. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah, I mean, I think you know, getting these guys on, I think it, it would it would be incredible. But that's not to say that every other every other guest that comes on isn't as well, you know. And I think they're they're all different stories. They're all yes, I'm sure Andy Murray will open up a, a bigger listener uh, download a, a amount. But at the, but at the same time, you know, the Ken Skopsky story is equally as brilliant, you know, and I, and, and I think it's, and, and, and often a Ken Skopsky can maybe talk with a bit more freedom than maybe an Andy Murray can as well. You know, and they have to be very careful. More, it's more relatable as well, isn't it? I think so. I, I think so. But that's not to say that we're not going to continue trying to get these big names. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't be swapping any of the amazing guests that we've had over the last couple of years. Well, um, as much as I would love to continue our chat, I'm sweating too much. I need to get a towel. <laughs> uh, we need to make our way to the public transport, the bus to take us to the tennis club and more practice. If no one's feeling sorry for me yet, and maybe I'll post a couple of couple of pictures from the view from the tennis no club. More pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but but thank you all for listening, guys. Enjoy the tennis. Enjoy this summer. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllable.